You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Hey, let's pray together again, okay? Um, you know, in Scripture, something we, we see a pattern in the life of Jesus. Think about the stories where a life was radically changed by him. And what happened? We see Jesus, he didn't, oftentimes, he didn't make a beeline for the person and go, you know, like, just like stand, show up right in front of them and say, hey, I want to talk to you. What often happened is Jesus kind of passed by. He made himself, like, obtainable in a sense. He, and then in that moment, those who were really wanting something from him, what did they do? They reached out. They called out, they cried out, and then Jesus stopped and turned to them. I think that's so important as we gather that we just, that that is in our hearts, knowing that God is here. Like he, his heart is so full constantly of desire to bless, to pour out his spirit, to fill, to heal, to, you know, to do the impossible. And oftentimes what he's waiting for is the, the outstretched hand just to grab a hold of the hem of his garment, and he is ready to stop, just to turn to you, and to just and to meet you where you are in a miraculous way. Let's pray. Let's just reach out our hands of faith right now to Jesus, knowing that he is alive, he is here, and he wants to do the impossible. Lord, we are asking that your kingdom come and your will be done right now in this place. God, that this day is important in human history. This time is important. God, and we want to hear from you. We want to meet with you. We want to receive from you. God, we want spiritual knowledge. There is nothing more valuable than spiritual knowledge. Give us a revelation today of who you are, of what your will is for us, of how you see us, of where you're taking us. God, we do. We stretch out our, our hand of faith, Lord, our desire, and we say, God, I need you this morning, here, now, Lord. I need you. There not, might, might not be this external um, emergency in my life, but God, I know that if your hand is removed from me, I have nothing God, I need your grace. I need your protection. I need revelation today. I need to go deeper in with you because the minute I stop, Lord, the current of the world is going to pull me away. So, God, we need you today. We need you today, Lord. Stir up our passions, Holy Spirit. Stir up our desire. Stir up our hunger, we pray. We don't want to sleep. We don't want to be lulled to sleep by the enemy where our passions are dulled, where we lose our excitement and enthusiasm for the things of your kingdom, for your word, for Christian fellowship, for hearing your voice. Holy Spirit, stir us up. Stir me up, God. I know what it's like. Lord, I, I see the tendency in my own life to be lulled to sleep by this world and the enemy and the flesh. But God, we fight that today, Lord. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you, God. Today matters, so God, come Holy Spirit. Come by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Come into this moment, into this space of time. Give revelation. Give breakthrough. Give truth that sets us free. Lord, give new empowerment, I pray. 
new callings, we ask. May your kingdom come, Lord, right here and right now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, I have a lot of respect just for Pastor Ben, for this faith, faith family, for your hearts, for mission, for people. And uh, you are important in the kingdom of God. Your expression of faith and just you grabbing hold of God and just going after him and doing all that he calls you to do, like, we need that in the, in the global body of Christ. We need the Gateway Church and your, and the, and your local expression of faith in Jesus. And it was, you know, our design, if we go back to the beginning of time, you know, just going back even to the Garden of Eden, we see God's design for human beings is to, through us to spread his glory through the enti- throughout entire, all of creation. That wherever there is creation, that there would be a witness to the existence of God and to the goodness of God. And that witness is you. It's me and that's why God said he made Adam and Eve in his image you know, to reflect his nature, his character, his heart, his glory. And that they were to multiply, you know, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Because God wanted to fill the earth with his glory. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, we read that that will, God is accomplishing that, and it will be accomplished. The, the prophet says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That is going to be accomplished. It is in the process of being accomplished through you and I today. And Jesus says it as well in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And the word nations doesn't mean uh, political borders. It means eth- different ethnicities and people groups. All nations, all people groups will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom will be spread. And so it's being accomplished today. And, you know, the task of evangelism will never end. You know, we're always going to be sharing the gospel with a, with a neighbor, with a coworker. With You know, there's always going to be more people to share the gospel with. Even after the church is established among a people group, there's still more places to, to tell about Jesus. But the Great Commission, it will be accomplished. And we're seeing it accomplished in the most amazing way. The last, hundred, I mean, 2,000 years, 20 centuries, right, of the existence of the church. And... This last century, we have seen so many unreached people groups reached. I mean, Muslims around the world are coming to faith by the thousands. Places that were like zero churches, zero believers, now have these movements of multiplying disciples. And what's incredible is that 100 years ago, for the most part, it was the U.S., it was Great Britain, Australia, you know, like part of Western Europe— for the most part, sending out people to these other nations. But now it's South Korea, it's China, it's South America, it's, it's Latin America, it's African countries sending out workers to Muslim countries, Buddhist countries. To It's incredible. It is incredible what God is doing today. The Great Commission, and I, st- I believe it, can be accomplished in a generation. It can be accomplished in a generation. 
And uh, like that's, that's an exciting thing to be a part of. And so God is working through us to fill the earth with his glory, that he would have a light, a witness among every people group on the earth. And this happens through us on three levels. First of all, that God is conforming my character to reflect his. That, isn't that where it starts a changed life? Where God comes into your life and begins to make you look like him. The second is the local expression of the family of God, the body of Christ, reflecting the glory of God through their mutual love and unity. Right, so as, as we see the church planted, uh, several people come to faith in Jesus. They gather, they're gathered together into a new community, a new family, and they begin to follow Jesus and obey Jesus together. And, and that is also God's method of reaching, spreading his glory throughout the entire world. And then finally, that faith family, that community of believers, they look for the frontiers. The Holy Spirit isn't, you know, we have an apostolic God in the sense of always looking to the places where there's need, where there is no gospel witness, and sending somebody. That's what the word apostle means, to send, right? a sent one. So God is still raising up people and sending them to these frontiers, whether it be another country, a neighborhood, a minority, a different, you know, a, a subculture. But God is sending people to the frontiers. And so we are active on those three levels. And you know what? On every single level, we face impossibilities. It is impossible for me to be the husband the dad, the man, the, the friend, the worker that God has called me to be without supernatural empowerment. It is absolutely impossible to live a righteous life without the supernatural operating in me every single day to make me like Jesus. And like our homes, we need the supernatural in our homes to be a family that reflects God's glory. And then we need it as a church family we cannot be a unified community loving and serving each other without miracles. That takes huge miracles to happen. You know what? I believe that miracle of, of people from different cultures, you know, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different social classes, truly living together in unity and love and obedience to Jesus I believe that is a greater testimony than the dead being raised. I believe more people come to Jesus by seeing that than by seeing dead raised and tumors fall off. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for each other. That's how they're going to know. We need the miracles of God in our, to be a faith family. And finally, in reaching the unreached. There, there are strongholds. There are governments that are antagonists to the gospel they are working to keep the gospel away. And we will not see these people, these places reached without acts of God, without the impossible becoming possible. And so for us and, and for you today, we need to understand how do we operate in the supernatural, don't we? And the key is faith. It's faith. And I believe that this, I believe that God gave me this, this word uh, for you today. I, you know, I've been in the States for about 10 months, and I have not preached this in every, this is not something I preach in every church. I believe that God has given me this for you today. And this is really something the last three weeks God has been speaking to me a lot about. 
uh, personally as well. So as we face these impossibilities, uh, we are more than conquerors on all three levels. We, are, we can walk in victory, and we will walk in victory by the grace of God, and it comes through great faith. So let's look at what Jesus teaches us about great faith. And let's, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 1 through 10. So we're going to read this passage and talk about a, a few aspects of great faith. So first, it starts with Jesus teaching his disciples. So in verse 1, it says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause any one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. And then he goes on to share this parable and a continuation of their request, increase our faith. He says, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant? Does he say thank does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So first we see the disciples being overwhelmed by what Jesus was expecting of them. They knew that it was impossible. He was looking at them and saying, woe to him through whom temptations come, through whom a stumbling block might come to a brother or sister It'd be better for you for a millstone to be tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea than for you to be that person who causes a brother brother or a sister to Christ to stumble in their faith. And then he talks about forgiving when you've been offended over and over and over again to continue to forgive, to love, to serve, to build up. And they knew that's impossible. God, Help us. Like, if we're going to do this, you have to help us, Jesus. Increase our faith because I know that I cannot live up to that without a miracle from you. God, give us a miracle. That was the cry of the the apostles, the disciples at that time. And Jesus gave them an answer. Uh, He says, and it's really interesting, his answer. They're saying, increase our faith. And Jesus answers talking about the littlest thing, really, that was around, a small mustard seed. It's just a speck if you hold one on the end of your finger. You can hardly see it. And he says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 19 20, Jesus says something similar. The apostles, again, were faced with an impossibility. They could not cast the demon out of the boy. Remember, his dad brought the boy to the disciples when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus came down, and the boy was still, he wasn't free. And 
Later, the disciple, Jesus set the boy free with just a word. The demon left, he was healed. But later, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, why couldn't we cast out that demon? And here's his answer to them. They said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So the disciples are faced with impossibilities, this radical practicing of forgiveness, casting out demons, and so they cry out in desperation, Lord, please increase our faith. So what is Jesus telling us about faith when he compares it to a mustard seed? Because he says you have little faith, but then he talks about the littlest faith possible, really, a mustard seed faith. And he says if you have this mustard seed faith, you can do the impossible. And I believe what he is teaching them is that great faith is not about you being great. Didn't the disciples often want to be great? Weren't they often fighting among each other, like, uh, who's the greatest among us? And Jesus is now saying to them, teaching them, it's not about you becoming great, you becoming bigger than your impossibilities or the, the, the challenges around you. David never had a hope of becoming bigger and stronger than Goliath, right? What was faith in that moment? It was turning to God. So great faith is not about being great. It's about looking to the great one, Jesus. It's not about being strong. It's leaning on the strong one. It's not about being perfect. It's trusting in the faithful one. So it's not about being bigger than your impossibilities. This is, I have found this to be so important. I took a sabbatical uh, back in February for a month and just spent a, a lot of time just seeking for God in the word. And this is, this is what he spoke to me about and it has been transformational for me. Because when I'm faced with a challenge or a weakness or a insufficiency in myself, in any of the areas we talked about, my personal life, my family, my faith family, or in ministry, I often look to myself saying, okay, I need to do this better. I need to try harder here. I need, to, I need to pray more. I need to do this more. I need to fast more. And Jesus is saying, no, that is not the start of great faith because we will always fail. We will, all, we will never be greater than our impossibilities and our own strength. So Jesus teaches us in those moments, turn to Jesus. Faith is the constant turning of the heart to Jesus and looking to him as a sufficient one. That is so crucial to the Christian life. It is so important to walk in supernatural power and to see God invade every aspect of our life and to walk in abundance experience abundance on a day-to-day -day basis in every area of life. So f great faith begins with that constant turning to Jesus. And in that turning, you know what? That's dying. That is not easy because you're saying like, I admit, I confess that I am not in and of myself sufficient, that I am insufficient to make myself happy. I am insufficient to overcome these difficulties, to be the person that I need to be, to be obedient to God. And so my first step is always going to be humility. Humble myself before God, looking to him and seeing him and getting my eyes off myself and seeing his greatness, seeing his power and his sufficiency because he can raise the dead with no problem, right? 
he can do every, he can, nothing is impossible for God. We sung about it, we sing about it over and over again this morning. And it's true. It really is true. If it's not, then we're in trouble. We are in big trouble because I cannot finish living today without God's supernatural power in my life. So Jesus' answer is to first turn their attention away from how great they are to how great he is. And he teaches them more about what great faith looks like through this story. And in this story, we see a servant, right? A very obedient servant. Like, man, that guy or gal was really obedient, right? I mean, just like the ideal. I mean, serving, slaving away all day and doing the master's work and then coming home and like still not being able to just like, you know, let loose and, and eat and wash up, but first he had to serve his master. And only then was he allowed to, to clean up and to eat for himself, right? But he's, he's content. He's grateful. He's happy. That's incredible. And so we see a servant who is dead to himself, to a life, a will that is independent of the master. We see a servant that is grateful, that is not entitled, and doesn't have a sense of entitlement, like you owe me, you must do this for me, you can't ask any more for me, haven't I done enough? We don't hear that from the servant. He deeply understands that the master is never in his debt. And John Piper, I believe, really summarized this parable well with these words. The gist of the parable is that the owner of a slave does not become a debtor to the slave, no matter how much work the slave does. God never says thank you to us. Instead, he is always giving us more than what we deserve, and we are always owing him thanks. That is the kingdom of God. That is how the kingdom of God works. Uh, God is never in my debt. No, for me to say thank you to you, if you've done something for me, is to say, I can't repay you. Thank you. All I can do is say thank you, give you my gratitude, right? It's a confession that, 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 that I am in, in your debt. So God is never in our debt. But what's great is that he is constantly giving us more anyways. He is not waiting for repayment. He's waiting just for our affections. Christianity is first and foremost about your affections. What do you love? What is your heart drawn towards? That is the essence of following Jesus. And that is the essence, the foundation of great faith. And that's what this parable is talking about. And so as we look at this parable, like, isn't this just like to the world, wouldn't it be like the, one of the most unattractive pictures? Who would want a life like that, right? To be someone else's slave and to never like be entitled to anything but to serve more? And it doesn't make any sense unless, unless this servant is receiving the treasure of all treasures. And that is exactly what is happening. Listen to this. So none of this story would make sense if there wasn't a pearl of great price in this story. And Jesus is that pearl of great price. That servant is so happy because he knows that he is in the service and he is sharing life with the greatest personality in the entire universe. 
he understands or she understands that there is no greater reward for a human being, that there is no higher level of happiness. That is where faith starts. Is God that good? Because oftentimes life is going to shout at us, no, he is not. Where is your God? Where is your good, his goodness? Does he love you? Does he care for you? Why does it hurt? Why are you suffering? And so great faith begins by believing and being convinced that there is nothing better than God. He is loving no matter what the world throws at me. And this servant was convinced of it. He was slaving away in the fields, and he stayed convinced of it. And this is what I believe he was thinking and saying as he was out serving his Lord, working away. I believe he was re saying, reflecting what David said in Psalm 16. Listen to this. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. My brothers and sisters in Christ, like they are the excellent ones. And in them is all my delight. I love serving with these fellow believers. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And in modern day vernacular, that just simply means that I am not going to run after what the world is running after. I'm not going to drink from the wells that they're drinking from to satisfy the hungers of my soul because they're empty. Their sorrows are only increasing. But he says about himself again, the Lord is my chosen portion and cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord always I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's why the servant was so happy and could willingly and with great joy serve and be obedient as he was or she was in that passage. So the picture of great faith that he gives us is a servant who is fully happy in the service of his master. He faithfully serves his master fully content with his place in life and he willingly suffers. He willingly sacrifices because he knows that his inheritance is greater. He is not disgruntled. He bears no sense of entitlement. He has no ambition to rise above his current position. Why? Because he knows that he is experiencing the pinnacle of human existence. He is convinced. He has faith. He lives by faith that there's nothing greater, nothing more satisfying, nothing more wonderful than what he is currently experiencing. For his lot in life, he's, his chosen portion is the living Lord Jesus Christ. And he is and will eternally share in the inheritance and glory of his Lord. You know what? The Great Commission is going to be accomplished by people living like that. That is what does it. That is what you're going to see the glory of the Lord spread through all of the world. And you know, I believe that's important because it's practical. It's here. It's now. I don't have to go to the end of the earth to live this right? 
I don't have to go to the end of the earth. And this is real. This is Christianity. What is my heart drawn for? What holds the strings of my heart? Where do I go to for satisfaction, to, to satisfy the hungers of my soul? Is it first of all and foremost, is it to the presence of God? Is it to the, to the saints where I can pray and worship and fellowship with them? What holds the strings of my heart? And that is the key. Being satisfied in Jesus all the time is the key to service, to joyful service. It's the key to seeing supernatural power infiltrate every aspect of our lives. Amen? And so the, how does it begin? It begins by saying, and I have to do this often, saying, Jesus, I feel my affections beginning to dull. I feel my heart being drawn to other things more than it's drawn to you right now. And that grieves me because I know that's false. It's based on a false reality because you are the only reality that can satisfy me. Everything else will increase my sorrow if I'm running to that before I run to you. And so I, we cry out and say, God, renew my passions, renew my first love, renew my hungers for the things of your kingdom that I can wake up in the morning and be excited about serving you, that I can go to bed at night content, at peace, and at rest, knowing that I am living the life I was purposed to live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this church. Thank you for the calling that you have upon them, the purposes that you have for them, the ways that you are glorifying yourself through them and the places you're taking them. Lord, the dark places you're reaching into through them, God. Through their support and their prayers of people that they're sending out and saying, yes, you are called by God. Go, we support you, we send you. Through the places they're going by themselves, Lord, on their own two feet, Lord, into, in this area, in this community. And God, increase our faith. Lord, you see the impossibilities and you care. God, every single person here is faced with an impossibility on some level. Maybe it's a calling that they, they feel a, a burden for and they think, I, I can't do that. That's impossible. Maybe it's a habit they can't overcome, a bad habit. Maybe it's a relationship that they can't restore. Maybe it's somebody they can't forgive. Whatever it is, Lord Jesus. God, help my brothers and sisters. Help us to bring our impossibilities to you and humble ourselves and say, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith in your goodness. Increase my faith that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, that no one can satisfy my soul but you alone, God. And so I come to you with the, the hungers and the thirsts of my soul right now. Forgive me for trying to satisfy my soul in other places. It's caused me to be frustrated. It's caused me to be agitated, to be unkind to those around me. It's caused me to be discontent, to not want to serve you. But God, I forsake that now. And I say, God, I'm looking to you. You are the strong one. You are the faithful one. Restore my faith today. Increase my faith. Increase my faith, Jesus. Capture the affections of my heart again so I can be a joyful Christian, a passionate Christian, Lord. God, you have great things for this church, Lord. You're doing great things through them. This, Lord, you 
want to use them in a ways that only great faith will take them into. Increase our faith, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me uh, this afternoon now? And thank you, Josh, so much for that word. Uh, we're going to sing one more song. And uh, just like Josh was pulling from different places in Scripture, from Psalms and from Jesus, uh, uh, it's funny, the more you read Scripture, the more you see these repeated themes. And there's one also in Isaiah where Isaiah uh, saw the Lord high and exalted. And, and just like uh, the way of the world, uh, he kind of, instead of uh, worshiping him like we did in this moment, instead he said, woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. So he's like, oh no, this is not good for me. But then what God did is God came to him and God touched him. God forgave him. And he said, your sins are forgiven and your guilt is atoned for. And as a response to that, God was looking around and he was saying, I have a message. I have a duty. I have something that I need someone to do. And Isaiah, in the same way as the servant who, who has been given a debt he could never repay, he says these words, and it's words that we're going to sing here in a moment. He says, here I am, send me. And so as we sing this today, let this be a reminder that this is our worship. This is our response to the forgiveness of sin for a debt that we could never repay, thanking Jesus for what he did. So let's just prepare our hearts this morning. Yes, Jesus. Help us to worship you with this song today. Lord, we thank you that you paid the price for a debt that we could never pay, Lord. Lord, that we are internally indebted and grateful for you, Lord, and our resounding response is only to worship you, Lord, with our whole lives. Lord, and you're saying, whom shall I send and who will go to the lakeshore? Whom shall I send and who will I send to the schools? Whom shall I send and who will I send to the different places that we go to work, Lord? And let us be people who say, here I am, Lord, send me. Who will be the people who forgive those who do the unforgivable? Here I am, Lord, send me. Who will be the ones who will go and love the unlovable Lord? Here I am, send me. Lord, you are calling us. You are sending us to be your ambassadors, to be your hands and your feet to a lost, hurting, and broken world. And so let us leave this place empowered. Let us leave this place cheerfully, knowing that we are on mission, sent from you. Let everything we do be an act of worship as we leave this place. And we know that as we go, that you will be before us, behind us, and all around us. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Go in the grace of God. We hope you have a great week. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.